there are things that I've learned over time or started to understand over time about how the space influences the experience here and shapes the music. But there's a lot of mystery in it, too, that I don't entirely understand. But one challenge that we have in the world today is that people are living in communities that are of an unnatural size. It's hard for us to have the depth of relationship with people when we're removed from them, either by technology or when we're in such a, a constant flux of people. is Towards a Kinder Public, a podcast exploring issues in public space and ways to achieve a kinder public space that better meets our interconnected needs. I'm Kevin Castle, and along with Annie Chen, we are Kinder Public. My guest today is Sarah Craig, Executive Director of the historic Café Lena, the famous live music listening room in Saratoga Springs, New York. Café Lena is the oldest continuously operating folk music venue of its type in the United States. The Library of Congress calls Café Lena an American treasure. It is represented in the archives of the Smithsonian Institution and has been recognized by the Grammy Foundation for contributions to American music. For people interested in architecture and interior spaces, Café Lena is a fascinating look at the relationship between music community building, social and political movements, and the built environment. It is a venue type that developed alongside a music culture that valued shared craft and human connection. The songs are steeped in life experience. We'll learn more about the architectural details and culture of the space that together reflect this history, as well as Café Lena's commitment to artists into the future. The beautifully renovated, now fully accessible, historic second-floor space is as vibrant as ever while celebrating 63 years of operation this year. At the end of this episode, enjoy a recording from a recent live performance of Valerie and Benedict Turner playing a tribute to Mississippi John Hurt, one of the legendary musicians that was influential during the American folk revival when Café Lena first opened its doors. Sarah Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm excited to talk to you too, because I think that your interest in Cafe Lena is just a little bit different than uh, many of the conversations that I've had about the venue, which are kind of entirely about music. And you're very interested in the physical space. And I'm really excited to talk about that. We are really interested in your physical space and also the way that you connect with the community around you and, and the uh, surrounding business district. It's really fascinating relationship. For people who are not familiar with Cafe Lena, can you explain a little bit about what Cafe Lena is and its historical significance? Sure, I would love to do that. So Cafe Lena is in Saratoga Springs, New York. It's a uh, live music listening room and more than that, as we will talk about as we go through. Um, the reason that it's so significant is that it started 
1960 at the peak of what was called the folk revival, which was music trend or movement, I think you would call it. It was kind of in response to the over-commercialization of music during the 1950s when it started to feel um, maybe a little detached from the heritage of music in this country. And so mostly out of colleges, there were students and researchers who got really interested in the roots of American music and started going out and poking around in the countryside and exploring. And a, a lot of that happened in, in the South, people going out with tape recorders and uh, and taking uh, the musicians that hadn't been heard from for a, a long time and bringing them up to Northeast college campuses and later coffee houses to start performing uh, some of the old traditional music of this country that really kind of holds the story of the American people. And then that, you know, inspired a generation of new music makers who then began to take some of those influences and create new, more popular music based on that. And the reason that Cafe Lena is significant is because it's really the last holdout from that era. It's the only... Uh, venue of one of many at the time that has been in continuous operation ever since. And so therefore it holds a very special place in American music history. Mm -hmm. These days, you know, as a lot of time has passed, right? We're just mm -hmm. celebrating our 63rd anniversary this month. It remains a stage and I think always will be a stage that people want to play because it's unique. It's a room where a lot of their heroes have played, the people who shaped what American music is today. And when performers stand on the stage in the same space that was stood on by their heroes, they talk a lot about um, how that inspires them to put on some of the best performances they've ever put on. They just want to do right by the legacy of this place. So who are those heroes? I mean, there are people that have become household names that played here when they were just starting out and getting to be public figures. And um, the one that we're probably best known for is Bob Dylan. This was the first venue that he played when he started expanding beyond the Greenwich Village folk scene. It was his first touring gig. Mm. And he played here a couple of weekends in the early 60s. And Emmylou Harris did. Um, Arlo Guthrie did when he was just starting out. And Pete Seeger was not a newcomer to the music scene, but he considered the place important enough that he came and played here. And then at the same time, during the early 60s, there were a lot of people of massive influence on American music today like even the Rolling Stones or the Grateful Dead, you know, bands like that would consider these people to be extremely influential, but they're not really known to the public so much, but they played here. And that would be people like Mississippi John Hurt and Clarence Ashley, who was, uh, you know, a mountain fiddler and Skip James, who was also like John Hurt, um, a Mississippi Delta blues player. And then there was women like Jean Ritchie and Hazel Dickens, who um, came from coal mining er eras and, uh, you know, did a lot of ballad singing and um, very important figures. And, and then like, so that started to pass forward to people like Don McLean and then, you know, Ani DeFranco and then, you know, the people that we have on our stage today, like Allison Russell and Amethyst Kia and Sonny War. And so our job as a venue, as a holder of this heritage is to keep that chain strong and never ending and to continually reinvent what this music is and reinvent it for a new generation and to be a place where people can find their voice and share their songs. 
The story of Cafe Lina's location, the second floor space with the signature brick wall and shuttered windows looking out over the narrow street is so interesting. The location of the cafe and the character of the interior have a lot of significance in terms of the experience of the music. From your perspective, what are the key elements of the space and how does the architecture and interior relate to the musicians and the audience? Yeah, that's is such a fascinating question. And I think there are things that I've learned over time or started to understand over time about how the space influences the experience here and shapes the music. But there's a lot of mystery in it, too, that I don't entirely understand. But one thing that so I, I read very widely ecology and theology and philosophy and, you know, different political um, types of movements. One thing that I think I've heard from a lot of different directions is that one challenge that we have in the world today is that people are living in communities that are of an unnatural size you know, that we encounter too many people. It's it's hard for us to have the depth of relationship with people when when we're removed from them, either by technology or when we're in such a, a constant flux of people, whether we move for our careers, we're separated from our families and all of that. And a lot of people will say that the natural size that resonates with what a human animal is, is, you know, like 100 to 200 people. Well, our performance space holds 110 and I do think that that is part of what makes it feel like home to people and helps them let down their guard when they come through the door. It's also what I think makes the performers on stage feel like they are genuinely connecting with people because it's the right number of people. Another thing that I think is important is that people share tables here when they come to a show. So what the room looks like is um, it's a rectangle with a stage in the corner and then there's a room full of small round wooden tables surrounded by chairs. And those tables have been in this room since the place opened in 1960. They've been hmm. our furniture from the start. And it's always a little bit of a surprise to people when they come for the first time. You know, we'll say, here's your table. And they'll say, but there are already people sitting there. And we say, you're sharing it with them. And they sit down. And, and um, for people who have been here before, you see it start immediately. Hi, my name's Bob. This is my wife, Mary. We live here in Saratoga. Where, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? And people get into the spirit of that really quickly because I think that that's what people really want life to be like. And I think what's unnatural is for us to walk into a coffee shop with, you know, one person at each four person table with their laptop open and their headphones on in their zone doing their work. And you walk around with your cup of coffee feeling like there are no seats available, but there are actually three seats available at pretty much every table. And um, and if you just plunk down and join somebody, you will usually find that that laptop closes and the headphones go in the back pocket and they leave pretty quickly because it's just not part of the culture of that place. But at Cafe Lena, it is part of the culture to share tables and people just relish it. Another thing that I think is kind of unique about our venue is that it's on the second floor. It's not at street level. And I have spent a long time wondering if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> because I do think that 
it creates a certain amount of mystery about the space. You can't just stand there and peek in the window and see if your kind of people are in there or if they're not or what's going on. And people can be a little bit hesitant about coming up and, you know, they don't want to get in the way. They don't want to do the wrong thing. They don't want to embarrass themselves. And so that invisibility from the street is, I think, a challenge for a lot of people in terms of exploring. But once you get over it and you come in and you're in the space, you feel like you're in a space that's that's removed. It's like a world apart from everything that's going on out there. You've entered, a, you know, something that feels different in, in time and everything. And so um, it's an advantage and a disadvantage. Another thing that I think is um, interesting about our space is in folk music, what you're really trying to do is break down that barrier between the audience and the stage. Okay, so it's not like um, a bar room, okay, where somebody's playing music in the corner and everybody just talks over them and kind of ignores them, but it, it adds something to the atmosphere. And it's definitely not like a formal concert hall where the person is behind lights, they can't see the audience at all. They know the audience is out there when people applaud, but they are there to put on their show and it is the same show wherever they go. And they are seen as entirely separate from the audience. They have a, a talent that's just almost unapproachable. And so with folk music, there's a certain amount of back and forth between the audience and the seats. It's a listening room, so nobody's talking over the music. Everybody is here to hear the show, and their full attention is on the stage. But there's a lot of storytelling. There's a lot of sighs. There's a lot of laughter. There are um, sing-alongs sometimes. Uh, there's sometimes a question shouted up to the stage. And the stage is not too high. You know, the stage puts the performer a little bit above the audience so that everybody can see what's going on. But it's not meant to put them almost behind a wall, you know, mm -hmm. so that there's just a difference there. It's meant to create interaction. And then the last thing that I would point to in our room is that we made a lot of choices uh, to have the look and feel of the room be very organic. So there's a lot of natural wood. Um, the colors are very warm. Mm -hmm. um, the tabletops reflect the generosity of some of our donors where um, people who made very significant donations to the cafe have their name on the table and a song lyric of their choice. And in a lot of places, that would be a brass plaque that's engraved by a professional. At our place, it was wood burned into the top of the table by an artist, you know, by hand. And the letters are very handmade looking. And there's artwork on the walls that's really interesting and unique. And so just wanting to show handcraft, not just on the stage, but throughout the space as part of the design of it. Mm -hmm. And that handcrafted uh, organic uh, feeling that you're talking about on the top of the tables and so forth really um, sits so nicely with the brick wall, the textured wall. You know, it's it's really a beautiful space. It's beautifully done, and um, everything about it is so warm and inviting once you get there, like you said. <laughs> you know, I, what you just said actually reminded me of 
Well, maybe we'll we'll talk about it later because I think that you want to talk a little bit about some of the changes we've made to the space lately. Mm -hmm. But don't let me forget to talk about just the sound of it because that's mm -hmm. very important. Too. Okay, great. I will make sure to ask you about that. It, and yes, I wanted to talk about the restoration, which was an urgent and large project that was accomplished under your leadership. Can you talk about the restoration and the way that you were able to preserve the recognizable atmosphere and the experience of the music while taking on such a significant interior renovation. And you've already touched on some of those things, but we'd love to hear more and also about the sound. Sure, yeah. So the biggest part of the project was actually the part that you don't really see. And, you know, a person with your background fully understands that, that um, the most urgent need was actually to deal with the structure of the building because the city of Saratoga, the engineers had become concerned about the integrity of the strength of the building. What would happen if there was a fire? How well would it hold up in a situation like that? So, um, so they were not willing to let us continue without making some major uh, structural improvements. So we started, you know, with the foundations and the parapets on the building were just crumbling, bricks literally falling off into the alley. And that all had to be repaired. Um, all of the brickwork throughout had to be repointed. Um, we put steel beams under the first floor and we had to put steel beams under the roof. So the whole roof came off the building and we put a new new roof on. And during that time, um, while we were under renovation, you know, like I mentioned, uh, at the top of this interview, we are the longest continuously operating folk venue in the country. We're like, oh, man, does this count as taking a break? We don't want that to happen. So, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> So what we did was like we obviously we were out of our space for um, we were out of our space for about six months. We were under the knife for about three months while we were able to still be in the space. But during that six month period, we used various community spaces all over the area, um, like lots of different churches. Um, we were over at Saratoga Arts. There was a barn that we used. Um, and one of the most challenging spaces that we worked out of was this marble clad former chapel that was now kind of the community room of a retirement home. And it was uh, a very acoustically challenging space. But it was really interesting to me as we went to these different places that all had a capacity of about 100 people that everywhere we went, it felt like Cafe Lena. With that music and the right people and the right number of people, it felt like Cafe Lena wherever we went. And that was a really big wake-up call for me about the degree to which people were creating the space as opposed to the space creating the people. You know what I mean? So I think it, it really goes back and forth, but it, it gave me a new appreciation of how much the audience itself brings to the space. It's not about what we create is about what we it's not about what like the professionals create it's about what we all create together um and i think it gave us a chance as an organization to show that we were just unstoppable you know we we're very innovative very scrappy and that served us well in years to come so our space consisted of the the performance space a little kitchen and a tiny dressing room off of it, an office, some storage, and then a black box theater. And it's really two buildings that have a pathway between them that kind of look like one building, but are actually two buildings. 
And so we had a lot of tough decisions to make about um, how to use these two spaces. And we discovered that when we did the, when we brought things up to code, when we, for example, were going to put in handicap accessible restrooms, we would have gone from what was then an 85 seat venue down to a 47 seat venue. And 47 seats is simply not enough to sustain the quality of music that we want to offer. So we had to make the tough decision to let go of the black box theater, which historically had been a very important part of the place, partly because our founder, Lena Spencer, was an actress, and that was really her favorite part of the whole thing. And it really brought home this thing that's so scary about renovating precious spaces like ours. What holds the magic, you know? What is it? Is it the the physical things? Is it the culture that resides within it? How easy is it to replicate? If you get rid of the bricks, does that make it not Cafe Lena anymore? You know, these are the kind of questions we were in, we were having to ask ourselves. And so, letting go of that theater was really tough, but it enabled us to move our kitchen into that space, have a dressing room that was really separate from the performance space, have more office space. Oh my goodness, that has so many ramifications for the business. For example, having a kitchen that's more sound separated from the space allows the volunteers, it's mostly volunteer staff on on weekend nights, to talk to each other during the show. They didn't used to be able to do that in the old kitchen. They had to whisper and just, you know, be very silent about everything. And so now we have volunteers have formed bands, musical bands together. They get together to go hiking. They get together for parties at each other's houses. I think that there's more camaraderie and deeper relationships among the volunteers than there had been for a while. And having a dressing room that has its own private bathroom means that we can book different people because you couldn't really ask, you know, the illustrious Judy Collins to stand in line with the rest of the customers to take her turn in the restroom, you know, in the old cafe, which is what would have been the case. So now, she, you know, we can have uh, more private quarters for the performers. They can warm up before the show without kind of giving away um, what they're going to be doing. And having more office space means that we've been enabled to add more programming and have the staff needed to support it. So the business in ways that we hadn't expected has grown tremendously since the renovation. That's really interesting. I love the story about the volunteers and the relationships forming in a quieter kitchen. Yeah. What a great unintended consequence. Yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, Cafe Lena is the oldest continuously operating folk music venue in the United States, which you managed to preserve, a title which you (laughs) managed to preserve through this uh, incredible renovation process. (laughs) Right. Subscribe to Towards a Kinder Public on your favorite podcast player, and please leave us a rating and a review. It helps increase the visibility of our message, and we really appreciate your support. To share information about issues in public space and spaces that are doing things right, email podcast at kinderpublic.com. Links to more information about the guests and topics mentioned, as well as a full transcript of the conversation, are available on the podcast section of our website, kinderpublic.com.
Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Kinder Public. I'm Kevin Castle. Our guest has been Sarah Craig, Executive Director of Cafe Lena. Join us next week to hear part two of this conversation. Here is Mississippi John Hurt's song, Avalon, My Hometown, played by Valerie and Benedict Turner, live from Cafe Lena's benefit for the Mississippi John Hurt Foundation. I wish you a good week. Enjoy. This morning blowing kisses and waving at me Left Avalon this morning Left Avalon this morning blowing kisses and waving at me Saying come back mama, stay right here with me Come back, mama. Oh, come back, mama, and stay right here with me. to know Oh, I hate to tell you, Papa Well, I'm leaving Avalon I ain't coming back no more Avalon, my hometown Always on my mind Avalon, my hometown, always on my mind Handsome men in Avalon want me there all the time 